Hello builders. Welcome to the Builders Club Startup Founders podcast. A podcast for founders to upskill themselves and understand the founder mindset. Every week, we sit with the best minds in the startup ecosystem and understand what it takes to start, run and scale businesses. This podcast is from one of our recordings of our water cooler conversations. A weekly community AMA where we get established entrepreneurs to discuss their strategies and their mindset in front of our community members. So sit back, relax and let's start with the episode. First of all, thanks a lot for doing this, Udit. Uh, for all of you guys who are joining in, uh, I'm sure you must have heard of Udit. Udit is a serial entrepreneur. He's a very, very close friend of mine and, and the club. So he has had a journey of both successes and failures half and half. And right now he's running uh, two very successful businesses. He's uh, the co-founder of Pitchground as well as First Sales IO. Um, he basically is one of those very few people uh, in the Indian ecosystem who basically decided to bootstrap his journey. And, and currently Pitchground uh, basically valued at around $20 million. Uh, and now the new journey of first sales.io, the new baby of, of Odit and his team uh, taken flight. So welcome Odit, welcome to the Builders Club. Uh, thank you so much Sohil for, for the invite. Um, Honor to be here. I have had the pleasure to know you a little bit more personally. So I know the amount of hard work that you have put in, the kind of things that you usually do. And I think one of the key lessons, if you guys uh, have joined in uh, for Odits, this thing is not just understanding about the SaaS business, but growing a personal brand itself. Because I think his breakout also happened on Twitter last year. Right. Uh, and it was not a fluke. There was a lot of strategies in terms of content and planning, which went in. And probably if we have time, we'll also delve into that. Let's basically start off with knowing a little bit about you. People are fascinated by the kind of stuff that you usually put uh, put out online. And that comes from a lot of experience. So probably want to know, know a little bit more about your initial journey, the initial process, the first startup that you that you worked on and what are you doing now? Oh, uh, fantastic. So I started my journey when I was uh, 16. So internet happened to me and it was a complete fluke, I would say, uh, that I got into the entire uh, world of internet. I remember... Uh, I think it was back when I was uh, 15, I was pretty active on awkward and um, I got into gaming very, very, very heavily. So there used to be a game known as Ragnarok. I'm not sure if many people know about it. It used to be the biggest RPG game uh, about 15 years ago. So I, I got sucked into that game. I would spend a lot of time. Like I, I screwed up my entire 12, by the way. Uh, for not many, not, not many people who are not following me, I literally screwed up my entire 12. Uh, destroyed my uh, hope and journey of becoming a software engineer. Uh, scored just 50%. Uh, in in 12th so but i think um you know the behind everything that happens in your life there is something that's it's, it's meant to lead you to something and um during that entire journey i didn't realize that that gaming is is what led me to the entire world of internet because it made me curious to learn more about how those designs are made right because those servers uh, Ragnarok was uh, also one of the biggest open source game, by the way. So you could set up your own server, you could set up your own stuff uh, to learn from people, uh, network from people. Since it was an RPG game, it was like real, real, real person's game. I would just network. I would talk to a lot of people and I started learning about team building and a lot of those things through gaming. 
and it's it's always said that like good entrepreneurs are usually generally very good gamers as well or they have been a good gamer at some point of their life because what gaming teaches you is something that i feel nothing else in life will generally teach you so i uh, got into gaming and uh, then started learning designing because i wanted to start contributing to the server that i was playing and that slowly led me to also start understanding that there's there's more beyond designs right there's development there is website development there is app development and this is what made me really very curious and i started spending a lot of my time uh in learning a lot of these things so my first biggest breakthrough happened uh, when i was 18 uh 18 or 19 uh, where wordpress was just starting out right i'm talking about 2008 now and <laughs> i think was uh, wordpress came out back in then uh, 656 and it started trending up uh, on the entire internet because this this was the first cms that was actually pretty uh, easy to use as compared to the joomlas and all those platforms that used to exist uh, in in those olden days so but with any new platform coming in it also brings in more opportunity right so let's say facebook coming in it brings in opportunity tiktok came in whoever jumped on tiktok uh initially they kind of like uh took advantage of it right so i took an advantage of the situation and i saw that uh, a lot of people were getting hacked left right center day and night right because the popularity of the platform was increasing but whenever there is a new platform that comes out that attracts people it also attracts a lot of hackers so that's where i ended up building up a wordpress security plugin and uh, i started asking people i started seeing uh, the forums and different places and just commonly noticing the common patterns and issues people would post all the time around security and uh, ended up building up a security plugin and in about a month of time it did about 350000 in in sale and that was huge because as an 18 year old kid um who was literally studying uh, you you literally are like that 350000 dollars is worth like 1.5 million dollars in today's time right that's the worth of of that money because i think the currency exchange rate also was probably like 50 rupees or something like that maybe maybe lower than that if i if i remember correctly uh but that really gave me the breakthrough um uh eventually like after 4 uh, 5 months i lost interest from that project so i found someone to he basically took over the project uh, i did not sell and exit exit but uh since i was very young i didn't even didn't even know like the words like exit i just wanted to like drop it off right but i got the money uh, from that particular project uh, made and did pretty well and uh, asked my dad what to do with the money because again um uh, financial literacy sort of runs uh, within marwadi's uh, in general so I, i ended up asking my dad and i think that's when i ended up investing about 80% of the money and bought my very first property and this was again i got very lucky again because the entire uh thought of uh real estate boom happened after 2010 so i got the property at the absolute right time because i think it again it was back in 2008 or 9 is when i brought, bought the property <laughs> and uh, rest of the 20 uh, 20% i invested in fd because the interest rate uh, used to be pretty good i think it was it used to be around like 11 11.5% or something like that uh back in those days so i ended up putting rest of the money in fd and i continued learning i continued doing freelancing and this is where i um, discovered uh, my co-founder so after having an interaction for almost a year uh this time meanwhile i decided to uh, also once i completed my graduation i did my graduation in accounting and finance um, so i did my specialization in accounting and finance and um, i topped my uh, cost accounting and but the best part was that being a marwadi 
um, those profit and loss statements and all of those cost accounting, right, was so easy for me because I was already doing that since since basically my childhood, right. So um, I would study literally like a week or two week prior to the exams once again, and I would score more than eighty percent this time because someone coming from um, a, a science background moving to commerce makes it very easy for them to learn first of all right and then on top of that you being a marwadi that also helps a lot so uh that sort of really helped me out but i would bunk a lot of college uh would get bombarded on my college because no one really knew uh, in my college what i was doing i was making money i was doing all of these things no one knew this because i was not one of those people who would like talk and brag about it and plus social media um you also had those you know like uh, there is like that evil eye. You shouldn't be talking about this on the internet. Otherwise, people would start talking about it. So there was like all, all of those things were out there where people wouldn't talk about all of these things. But meanwhile, I continued uh, sort of freelancing. And uh, that's when when I discovered my co-founder, who is still my uh, co-founder, by the way, in all the projects, Oscar. So after one year of interaction, this is when I... Uh, uh, decided to pursue my master's in computer application uh, from Vesit in Chambur in Mumbai, which is one of the top IT colleges. Worst decision of my life. Ended up wasting that entire year because I was hoping that I would learn something, um, learn nothing. Uh, so while I was already building the, uh, complicated uh, projects for companies, uh, there was a lot of basics that were being taught in masters. And I I told myself that I'm not going to end up like wasting three years of my life trying to chase a degree that is going to be absolute useless for me. And that ended up being one of the best decisions of my life because uh, I applied for a business visa after that because my co-founder told me that, hey, just come to US. So applied for a business visa, got my business visa approved within like 15 seconds, I think. Uh, because we were doing very well as a company. So when we showed the financials, um, got the visa approved right away and I flew down to US and my life changed uh, since then. So uh, that's how uh, I, I got started during my initial days. That's how I discovered my co-founder. That's how I started with my very first sort of like real company after that in the US. Then. Interesting. So uh, this is this is pitch ground we're talking about. No, we're talking about my very first company known as Power Posting. That was Power my very, very first company. Yeah. So uh, WordPress security plugin, I would call it more of a project. It wasn't really a company. Uh, yeah. First real registered company, like a legal company was Power Posting. Interesting. And this is which year? Uh, Power Posting. This was back in 2010-11, I think. Wow. Okay. And yeah. post that, so this is what, a decade back, man. Yeah. So almost over, 10, 11 years. Yeah. Over, over a decade. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So this is when you moved to the US. Right? Correct. I moved to US. I was in LA for a good number of years over there. Again, I, since I was on a business visa, so I, uh, like it was uh, back and forth travel every uh, five, six months. But I was pretty much there for like three, three years straight. Okay. And 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 what what? So there are two questions here. I'll we'll probably take take the first one, then move on to the second one. One is twenty tens. The US was a very interesting time. So which part of this part of the country were you in? Uh, I was in LA and I would travel. You were in to, LA. Yeah. And the best part was I would travel to Vegas pretty much most of uh, every single month because Vegas is one of the biggest networking. Not many people know about this because Vegas has name for some other reasons, but it is the biggest networking hub. There are some of the biggest events happens 
at Vegas and you could meet like some of the biggest guys over there, right? Some of the craziest people making millions and millions of dollars and you don't even know about them. Basically, they don't even exist on internet and yet they're making like millions, right? So I was in like the, the main financial hub and the capital of networking, LA and uh, Vegas. So, that, but I pretty much stayed in, in LA for about that entire three years. Wow. I guess the whole startup boom and started trickling from there to India. I think the, the whole venture and the startup ecosystem was fairly evolved by then. So any interesting scenario did you see there in terms of business and startups at that point in time? So when, when we started uh, with Power Up Posting, right, we were wondering what, what to really do uh, in terms of uh, building things up because, again, uh, hosting is a very complicated uh, niche, right? So what we decided that uh, we're going to, so we, we, we used to hear a lot about uh, SaaS companies and VPN companies uh, back in those days. So what we started doing was we started understanding the requirements of these SaaS companies and uh, they would, they would uh, really need help with a lot of like private cloud infrastructure because AWS had just started and it wasn't that mature like it is today, right? Google Cloud, I think, did not even exist for uh, public uh, and Azure did not even exist at all. Right? So there were like, um, there were no like sort of uh, public, public company out there uh, for cloud infrastructure and the way infrastructures are like really developed today. So we were building a lot of private clouds for a lot of these uh, companies, a lot of these SaaS companies. And that's when I discovered more about SaaS because I would speak with a lot of these uh, SaaS founders directly. And that really helped me to start understanding and it really intrigued me, right? The whole SaaS as a as an ecosystem really intrigued me like it's amazing how uh, saas was basically killing the entire uh, piracy problem right uh, because earlier the typical desktop softwares were getting pirated uh, pretty heavily quickly uh, because it was very easy to manipulate uh, the source code right if you are a good hacker if you are a good uh, developer as well it was very easy to unpackage a packaged uh, version of the software and the way sort of the SaaS companies, right, were born to sort of tackle this issue and also sort of like start selling softwares on a subscription basis. I still remember like buying uh, Adobe food for on a lifetime deal, right? This was this was back in when they were not selling subscriptions. I think this was uh, Photoshop 4, I think, if I remember correctly. So again, it really intrigued me. And that's when my interest in, in SaaS sort of really started developing. And I pretty much knew that, if anything is happening in US, generally it takes about 10 to 20 years for that trend and shift to happen in India. So when I saw that trend was happening over there in 2010, I'm, I was pretty sure that by 2030, we would see a lot of SaaS companies coming out in India, a lot of SaaS being developed in India, a lot of SaaS companies really topping by 2030, but it all got escalated because of COVID, right? So what we are seeing now in 2022, is because of COVID. That boom that we are seeing yeah. is because of COVID. And and we at Pitch Ground are just trying to lead from the front, basically. Yeah. So uh, the, the first company, uh, how did you exit that? At, how did that transition happen? Uh, so I ran the company for almost, I think, six, six and a half years uh, before deciding to make an exit from it. Uh, because after running the company, um, AWS really started sort of like developing and maturing and started capturing the market very heavily, uh, especially again, their focus was just SaaS company. They did not focus on any other company. And they were literally throwing away $100,000 worth of uh, credit to SaaS company. Then when we started seeing all of these stocks, 
uh, I spoke with my co-founder and I told him like, I think Costco, it's, it's time for us to sort of really make an exit because there is no way we can compete with um, uh, Amazon. There is no way the, we can give away like such kind of credits as a small business. So, uh, and this is where it's very important that you make good friends in the industry, uh, especially if, even if they're your competitors, you make good friends with them rather than trying to bash them, trying to, um, because usually whenever all of these acquisition happens, it happens in the same industry, right? So this is where your development skills and your your relationship skills uh, really matter. So this is where uh, we had, we basically were sitting and working from the data center every single day. And there were so many other data, uh, other hosting companies in the same data center working and operating. So we ended up like building some very good relationship because again, none of us were really competitors, but it was sort of like, again, we were in the same industry and it was again one of those industries where there's a space and room for everyone right mm. uh, it, it was the industry was that big and everyone was focusing on a certain niche on a certain sector on a certain category of our customers because setting up those cloud infrastructures was not really easy and it was very 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 money intensive at the same time because we would buy those servers we physically owned over a thousand servers across multiple cities i think we had servers in amsterdam uh new jersey uh, Dallas and uh, LA. I think these were the four cities uh, where we had all our servers. So uh, this is this is how the entire sort of uh, journey uh, kicked in. And uh, when we when we saw that uh, AWS was really trending up, um, uh, we decided that we're gonna we started contacting like many of the friends that we made in the industry, and one of them ended up acquiring us. Oh, very nice. And then you started Pitch Ground. Uh, no, so after that. Uh, I started working on my very first SaaS. It was known as GoPBN. And I was one of the very first person in the entire uh, India to bring in the entire concept of private blog networks in India. Oh, so wow. today when you see people talking about PBNs, right? I was one of the pioneers who set it up back in 2016, 17. So uh, I set it up and within a year of time, uh, I grew it to over a million dollar in ARR. So again, I sort of had built that habit of taking any company to any project to over a million dollar in ARR, right? So uh, this is where I uh, started with that. And, uh, but within a couple of years of time, I ended up making an exit from that as well. It was very interesting exit because uh, I did not know about things like TAM, right? Like total addressable market. Like I did not know about all of these words existed. So when we built it, we didn't realize that the TAM of this, subcategory niche is less than $5 million, right? And we were already sitting at $1 million ARR with our competitors also out there. None of us was growing because the industry itself was so stagnated uh, and the growth itself was so stagnated. And that's when I learned that it's very important to build a SaaS that is big enough and it's growing at a certain CAGR, right? All of these words was, was brand new for me. So that's when we decided to make a very smart sort of an exit. So we ended up selling our tech to someone else. We ended up selling our customer base to our competitor. Mm. So nine months of trying to figure out how to make an exit because we were not really growing and we wanted to desperately make an exit. We couldn't figure out. So this was a smart sort of a way of us uh, figuring out a very nice exit for us. And that's how we made an exit. And that's when I started working on uh, my third project, which was known as Funnel Bake, which tanked very badly. Like every decision that I could have thought of would go right, went wrong, right from hiring to like me burning out about $200,000. I think I've put up the entire story on, on that as well, how I lost that money. I went into a very heavy depression, uh, but that's what gave me the idea of Pitch Crown, right? Today, so Pitch Crown was born because of my previous failure. So I see it as 
two or two hundred thousand dollars being invested today um, that led to me building a twenty million dollar company. But then I did not stop, right? Like when when you're a Marwadi, right? You don't take losses lightly, right? So I always had this in the back of the mind that no, like I have to work on this because. Uh, when a project fails, right, it also leads to a lot of reputation issues. It also leads to a lot of customers being upset, unhappy. And there's a lot of things that, that generally goes wrong. And again, these are not customers' fault, right? Because they paid for things and they are expecting things to be working in a certain way. Um, so for me, that was always back in the mind that you have to do the right thing, right? So when I found my second co-founder in my journey, so PitchGround is where I found my uh, my second co-founder, my CTO, Lucas. He's based out of Lithuania. He's the next NASA and Google developer. He's the next uh, hosting a, a developer as well. Uh, so uh, when I when I shared the story with him, uh, he told me that was oh, it. When the time is right, we're gonna we're gonna rebuild this. And this year was that right time. So when you see the first sales.io, first sales.io is that failure, right? That failed uh, is today reborn and rebirth as, as first sales.io, which is doing incredible. We have we are just about to cross like $400,000 in just four months. And it's stunning everyone at the pace at which like we're really building up and building subscriptions. So it's really shocking a lot of people and how quickly you can grow. But Again, this is where, you know, like that 14 years of experience is what I'm kicking in over here to really understand what 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 is required to sell and go out there and make money. Nice. Nice. So it's a very interesting uh, story, Odet. Um, one of the things that I want to touch upon is basically the whole idea, and this is something which a lot of first-time founders fail in, is basically the whole idea of gaining traction versus making revenue. Right. So uh, a lot of people basically try and get a lot of customers to test the product out or get them in the funnel. And that is something which they consider it as success. But I think till the time you make that first dollar, everything, nothing, nothing else matters, basically. Right. No, so what's what's your take on that? I 100% agree with you. So I think um, in the idea stage that we talk about in the Builders Club, right, the Builders Camp actually, yeah. uh, talk about, right, there's a, there's a concept that I shared um, over there for the very first time. It is known as the $100 concept and companies who have really adapted and understood this concept and have uh, used it, especially the early stage companies, uh, they have really gained uh, massive traction. Like I would say like about... 100% of the companies have seen results. So this $100 concept works in a way where uh, you reach out to 100 people, right? And try to ask them $1 for your idea. So now you will realize uh, that when you actually go out there and, and ask people for money, right? Even if it's a dollar, people will rip you apart. People will question your identity. People will question your product's identity. People will ask why, it's not easy to make someone take out their credit card because someone taking out their credit card is basically a way of enabling the first trust factor between you and the other person, right? It's not the amount. Again, it's the fact that someone has taken out their credit card or someone has taken out their debit card, right? Someone has just made that payment to you. That is basically they have started trusting you. Now, why would someone make that payment to you is because they feel that your solution can solve their problem. So this is where the concept sort of kicks in, right? That you reach out to 100 people 
and go and talk to them about the problem. And these are the 100 people who would be your uh, potential ICP in your industry. So ICP stands for Ideal Customer Profiling, which means that this is how uh, your, your specific customer basically looks like, right? So let's say if you're selling cycles, for an example, whom are you going to sell those cycles to, right? Are you focusing on athletes or are you focusing on uh, someone who is just fitness freak or are you focusing on uh, someone who is a delivery boy and uh, and uh, is using and buying in the gay economy, basically, right? Who is your ICP, basically? There can be multiple ICPs, but initially you have to just focus on one ICP because every ICP will have its own problem set. So when you talk to those ICP, you will start realizing that people who have pain, who have issues, they would go out and share those issues with you. And this is where when you start learning and start talking with those hundred set of initial people, they would tell you what exactly is their problem. And if your solution is a right fit for them, they would be ready to pay you even in the idea stage of your product because you are telling them that, look, I'm giving you a very heavy discount. And this is where the early adoption concept comes into picture and, and the whole word of early adopters comes into picture, right? Because these early adopters are ready to pay in uh, for a potential solution. And that too, they know for the fact that they would be getting a very heavy discount. And this concept came from, again, me running Pitchground and have worked with so many SaaS companies today and so many su successful SaaS companies capital as well. So when you, let's say, convince 20 people out of those 100 people, now you would see that your chances and success of, of building a successful company is 20%, while the failure rate is still 80% because those 80 people have said no to you. Now you go and reiterate your pitch and start focusing on those 80 people again. Go and pitch them again. Don't go and contact new people. You have to try and convince the same people and understand that why did they say no in the first place? Go and reiterate your idea and pitch again and then come back and pitch them again after a couple of weeks. Now, when you do that, you have to make sure that out of those first 100 people that you've contacted, you try and convince about 70, 80 people. Now, if you're able to convince 80 people to pay you that first $1 traction, the best part is now you've validated your idea, right? And during this entire three to six months of process, this is a very labor-intensive process, by the way, but it will help you save a lot of money because once you start building up a product, there is no going back because you will be burning capital like crazy. You would be hiring people. You would be investing your money. You would be raising capital, for an example. So the money flow is going to be crazy with almost zero expectation of returns immediately that's going to happen so it's better to spend all your time on the idea stage because it will also help you to keep on understanding what your customers really want and again people who have pain would sit down and talk to you for hours and tell them tell you like their entire problem set so this is where when you convince those 80 people right now your success rate is 80 20 and 80 20 is a very favorable ratio for any founder to take that risk that, hey, there is a chance of me being successful by 80%. Now build an MVP and use that MVP and deliver your MVP uh, to those people who have initially trusted you, right? They become your earlier adopter. And when they see the product into reality, there's a lot of emotions that are attached, right? And these are the people who would talk about you, who would start talking about you on the internet, right? This is where success stories are, are born. So when you do it in this particular fashion, the chances of you actually being successful is a lot higher. But again, this requires a lot of work. And again, the best part is that if, you, if you're not able to convince enough people, you can just refund people the money back. That's mm. the best part, right? It's $1, a lot of amount, but again, you've taken something, 
you can just refund that. So it's not going to be too taxing for you either, because again, you're going to be refunding that three, 4,000 rupees, right? Which is about 50 to $80. So mm. refund that back. And you know, for the fact that at least you did enough validation. And sometimes always remember that the idea that you have could be too early, depending on the market situation as well. So it's not that your idea could be bad. But it's just that the market scenario currently doesn't support that idea at this point of stage. And this is what happened with my failure, right? When I built, when I built my startup and when it failed, it was just too early of a time for me uh, to even build it because the technology was not that advanced as it is right now. The amount of open source projects that are available today were, weren't there. And this is why I was able to build the project in a much better way because I also found a much better developer, much better person, which I initially, like when, when uh, all my previous companies, I was more about just hiring people locally in my city, right? Which was in Mumbai. Or when I was in LA, just hire people locally over there. There was no concept of me focusing on remote. This time, when I took the approach of remote, I started finding better people as well. So all of the factors sort of really kicks in. And this is how like you really drive that idea of $100 concept. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I mean, there are two or three things which has come out. So I'll, I'll basically touch upon them. But before that, let's just probably dwell a little bit back into the initial days of pitch ground. So I am very fascinated about how did you people figure out the product market fit, the initial customers and the feedback that you people got and thirdly, the go-to market. Uh, what are the different channels that you explored and how exactly did those experiments go? And finally, what are the ones which are working for you now? Uh, so prior to uh, running that, when I was also uh, running GoPBN, right? When I sold that and when I was uh, running Funnel Bay, I was also running my uh, agency on the sites, right? So I was uh, doing a lot of performance marketing because I always believe that the best way to learn is on other people's money. That's the best way to learn. So if you ever want to learn any skill, just start an agency. Uh, and start acquiring some of the customers in that particular niche. That's the best way to learn any skill that you want, right? Just start an agency. Again, don't have to like set up a crazy company or something. You just have, it, it can just be like a proprietary thing as well. Just start an agency. And uh, I, I ended up managing uh, about $50 million in ad spending. Uh, pretty much most of the real estate ads that you might have seen in 2017, 16 was, was basically ran by me. Right. Uh, so that sort of really helped me to understand performance marketing. And there were two skills that I had developed when it, when it came to marketing, which I was very confident about. The first was outreaching because when I was building up my very first startup, obviously I didn't have the money to compete against GoDaddy and pay like $31 per click. Right. <laughs> right now the same is about $50, $60 a click. So there's no way you got to be innovative in terms of how you want to acquire those customers. So that's when I learned about email outreaching back about like 11 years ago. And it used to be all manual. Now it's all automated uh, thanks to all the technologies and for sales IO uh, as well. Uh, but back in those days, it used to be all like crazy manual work and manual email. So I would pretty much end up sending a lot of manual emails to a lot of people. And um, uh, that was one of the skills. And the second was the performance marketing. So these were the two skills that I was very confident that I know I can drive results. I don't know about any other channel. I don't know if I'm going to be able to drive any other channel, right? Even with SEO and everything takes a lot of time. So uh, SEO for me was not the right channel uh, at this point of stage. So 
when I started with uh, with pitch down, I had already suffered a, a very heavy loss. So I had uh, two credit cards. Uh, both of them had about like uh, five thousand uh, dollars. Sorry, about six seven thousand dollars in in limits. So I had about like uh, I think a total of uh, ten lakh rupees or something available in total credit with with my two credit cards. I just maxed out both of them, and I ended up generating about three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So. Uh, the entire money went into performance marketing. Um, the ROS uh, back in 2017-18 was fabulous on Facebook. It's not the same anymore, but I literally drove like crazy ROS back then. So I think if I remember correctly, I ended up spending about like $10,000 uh, with both of my cards, if I remember correctly. And I ended up generating about $350,000 in, in roughly three months of time. So uh, that's how I got my initial traction. I was very clear about the audience itself because I've been like marketer pretty much like over, for over a decade now. So I knew about uh, my GDM. My GDM strategy was very straightforward that focus on agencies because uh, agencies are the ones who have money. Uh, they are the ones who are also like uh, managing at least like 10 customers on an average per agency because I had ran an agency. So I, I knew that uh, they are the ultimate decision makers for most of the companies, most of the uh, startups that they are managing or most of the companies that they are managing. So we just focused on uh, the agencies and that worked out brilliantly for us. So these agencies would come and just purchase in bulk for all of their customers. So instead of focusing on the end customers, we first start focusing on the middle person who was managing like most of those projects. So for example, if we were to sell like an SEO software, we would not sell to an end company who would use that SEO software but we would rather sell it to agency and agency would basically manage 10 clients. So they would buy and purchase in bulk, right? For each of their clients, rather than just one purchase, we would, we ended up having 10 purchases. So this is how we were able to like scale up and focus on our ROS. And we were able to really sort of dive into uh, having a much better ROS, which was very, very critical and crucial uh, during the initial stages of the business. So that's how we acquired our first set of customers. So, so this is, this is pitch ground, right? Yes. So, so can you can you help me understand? Can you help actually the audience also understand? Because everybody's heard of pitch ground, but nobody really knows, you know, in that clarity how what does exactly what exactly does pitch ground do? So we see a lot of companies launching there. So what's the whole model like? How does how does the whole process work? So Pitchround is a uh, is a SaaS marketplace. You can call it Amazon for software. It's right in a very layman's language. Just like you go and purchase um, like groceries or phones or laptops or regular things, right? Whatever you want on Amazon. Similarly, you come and purchase uh, software from Pitchground. So we wanted to make sure that the discovery of new software becomes easy because that was one of the biggest reason why uh, SaaS companies would fail. So uh, I, when I when I landed on this article by Lighter Capital, uh, Lighter Capital is one of the biggest debt fund VCs uh, for SaaS companies. They lend money to SaaS companies. So they said that about 92% of the SaaS companies failed within the first three years of running their business. And um, majority of the reason why they fail is because of lack of distribution, right? Because 88% out of every 100 companies, 88 companies are built by developers, right? The developers are generally the CEOs and that's not a good sign because they feel they have built the best product. They feel that everything will sell by themselves. They feel that everything will happen by themselves. So they just feel everything will happen magically. All I have to do is just push the product online and boom, magically everything will happen, right? 
and this is where the uh, this is where the problem uh, sort of like started having it so when i discovered this problem because when i spoke with prior to again uh, me launching pitchground i spoke with close to around i think 300 plus saas founders on call right i did a lot of research i tried to understand why do companies fail especially saas companies fail and when i realized that majority of the problem is because of lack of discovery which is distribution right uh, that's when i ended up building up the platform where companies can just come in launch their product uh, and i was also very inspired from uh, kickstarter.com or goindigogo.com i was already a customer of uh, kickstarter so i was like why 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 there isn't uh such platforms that really exist for for um fast companies as well so that was the whole idea of me like building it up and um that's when i ended up building up uh, pitchground and uh, that's what pitchground does it helps as companies to come and get that initial traction got it and then you sell these products to agencies different agencies which are out there yeah now we have a much larger pool of icps but uh, initially and even right now like our number one icp has always been agencies ah and then you basically realize that you know with with lesser effort you are able to sell more number of units to the required companies or required people it's not just about selling the required number of units but it's also selling to educated users so that also helps with uh, lowering down your churn massively because when you're selling to educated users right they're not going to come back and ask you questions like how to do i even need this right because the reason why they bought it is because they need they have a need for it and also at the same time since our uh, market focus has always been a north american market right uh, so people over there really understand what is saas they really understand what is software they really are mature enough to just go out there and make a purchase right so that was that was a situation the indian market has lately matured thanks to a lot of edtech companies a lot of uh, people have started understanding what is software and the importance of saas as well so now you would see that the adoption rate in indian uh, ecosystem uh, in general for saas has been quite acceptance and it's growing quite aggressively but back in 2018 19 that wasn't the case right like people would see a software as an expense and not as an investment so mm. people would like buy software they would rather like hire people to do something that can be automated with the software so people would be ready to pay like 50000 to 1 lakh rupees as a salary to someone rather than buying a software that can do the same job for like 3 4000 rupees just because of the fact that they did not want to adopt any sort of software that has changed completely because again the salaries there have been salary hikes and um, this inflation coming in so companies have finally sort of accepted saas and now the acceptance of saas have like been pretty grand well so that's what we did that's how we sort of really grew uh, pitch from during the initial stages got it got it uh, udit i basically want to understand a little bit about the importance of personal branding that you've realized um and and your overall the way you look at the different platforms because you basically first uh, you know took over twitter now there's linkedin which you're uh, working on way way regularly uh, what's the overall strategy content strategy or personal branding strategy as they call it uh, and and how does it differ from platform to platform so until last year honestly i did not care about personal branding right i did not focus on it at all uh but then i i spoke with a good friend of mine he told me that oh that like you have like 10 12 12 plus years of experience in the industry you have some fantastic knowledge um there are other like creators who are already creating like plagiarized plagiarized contents from here and there they're just googling and like copying and pasting on social media and 
people are loving those sort of content. So why don't you go ahead and, and start sharing, right? And I was also looking for ways to sort of uh, increase the distribution and brand reach for PitchGround at the same time. So I was like, why don't I go ahead and, and try out a few platforms, right? So I initially tried to focus on Instagram, but Instagram was not really my cup of tea because I cannot dance, right? I cannot dance and <laughs> videos. TikTok was again a big no for me because... Uh, the audience was quite irrelevant when I looked at the platform. This is before TikTok got banned by uh, by the Indian government. So both the platforms were a complete no. And um, and that's when I, I I tried to use Instagram a bit, uh, sorry, uh, LinkedIn a bit. Again, it did not work out for me. I tried to create some videos on YouTube. It did not work out for me. So I finally, um, I thought like, I think uh, let me give Twitter <clears throat> try again because the last time I tried Twitter prior to that was 2009 or 10. If you look, my account was probably registered in 2008 or 2009. I registered in, on my birthday, if I remember correctly. Mm. But then when I saw that all the contents were just politics, like about a decade yeah. ago, right? Stopped using it. And I think a lot of people stopped using it. And yeah. the Indian ecosystem itself, the startup ecosystem wasn't that mature, by the way. So the number of people available online was quite less. So um then last year i was like let me give twitter a retry again but this time what i did was uh, rather than jumping on the platform i did a lot of research right so i've always taken a lot of data driven approach uh, with most of the things that i do which uh, which i didn't do with a lot of these other platforms so i sat down for a few months uh, worked on some of the apis uh, downloaded a lot of top accounts right I downloaded their entire tweets to understand what worked what did not work a lot of data analysis went into it and again this is where a lot of my de development skills are sort of kicks in, right? Because I can I can do all of these things without uh, needing to bother my team, without needing to bother my CTO, or because this is a complete waste of time for for utilizing his time for for something like this, which we don't even know is gonna work out or not, right? So I I used all of those API. I was approved. Uh, my accounts were approved for uh, the usage of API. So I downloaded a lot of these content to really understand that what really makes the platform work, right? Because I wanted to grow fast. I wanted to grow quick. And I wanted to understand if I can really play with the algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the beauty about uh, Twitter as API is that they give you access to everything. Like, except for, I think, someone's DM, you can pretty much download anything using the API. That's the beauty about it. And if you can... If you know some Google uh, Data Studio on top of that, you can easily build some models and send some data to Google Data Studio and have some nice graphs and charts created using the API, right? So I ended up creating some of those, uh, sent all of those data to Google Data Studio and started understanding some of the accounts, so why it really worked. And um, uh, 15th of September, 2021 is when I restarted my entire journey of uh, Twitter. Uh, I know this date specifically because I, I that was my sister's birthday, uh, and I was like, let me let me uh, like give Twitter a try again. So, uh, but the moment um, I started using Twitter a bit, I was hit with COVID. My entire family was hit with COVID uh, uh, last year in October. So I pretty much like restarted my journey back in uh, November, and then I started realizing I think the first few things that I have to do with Twitter has to be focused on understanding who I am really I am as a person because it's very important that if you are starting with your personal brand you need to have your own voice you need to have your own identity right you cannot just go and copy people 
that's a big no, right? You can understand and learn from them, but you need to have your own identity. That was very, very important. So for me, I understood that, look, I know about marketing. I know about sales. I know about SaaS. That's all I know. So my contents would revolve around that. And if you, if you see my bio, it clearly says, that's all I talk about. I don't know about anything else. So I realized that it's very important. I, I also remember watching a video from Gary Vee and where he said that just talk about what you know. If you love cooking, just talk about how to make food. That's it. You do not need to talk about anything else, right? If you're if you're passionate about communication, just talk about that, right? If you're passionate about recording videos, talk about that. Find your passion and make sure that you build your identity. That's very important when it comes to building personal brand because Personal branding means being personal with people. So you have to expose your vulnerability in public. If you cannot do that, you are not doing personal branding, right? You are just trying to use people at that stage. So that's when I started realizing that the accounts that were doing extremely well, they are, they were all vulnerable. They've all shared the most vulnerable side of their life, right? And this is where I decided to put up my uh, story of me getting into depression and that was the turning point because that entire thread it went viral i think there were like thousands of shares they were like i think i probably generated like millions of impressions if i remember correctly that just went viral my account went overnight from like 1500 people following me to like four or five thousand people uh, and that's huge overnight, right? And since then, I did not stop. I started understanding more and more about it. And then my tweets kind of like, I, I also nailed down uh, what is really required to print tweets as well, right? I figured that algo part of them as well before they changed. So now that algo doesn't work, by the way. So uh, I was able to crack down those. And this is a this is the thing about, about social media, right? You have to utilize a platform at the right time, at the right stage itself, because... Algos keep on changing. The algos keep on getting updated. So what works, what has worked last year might not work this year again, right? This year things are working very differently. So it's very important to take advantage of that because the platform is ready to push distribution. And also at the same time, you have to be consistent regardless of whichever platform that you use because if you are, if someone else is not posting the content, the social media has to push someone. Right. And you could be that person at that point of time. And this is why it's very important to be consistent, by the way. There's no other reason. So uh, in this case, I started pushing up a lot of content. Again, a lot of my approach was completely data driven. Right. I knew what to do this time. And I was very strategic in terms of pushing my content. And again, I use all of my uh, copywriting skills and my storytelling skills, because when you are a salesperson, you naturally become a very good storyteller, right? That's a, a very natural stepping stone, because when you sell, you have to talk a lot. Even right now, like if you see, uh, a lot of talking comes very naturally, right? I do not have to sit down and think about, about what to build a story, how to build a story. This just comes very naturally. So when you're into sales, when you get into sales, you just have to talk a lot in general. Uh, so it was a, this was what I started doing. And my my tweets started going viral after viral after viral. My threads started going viral. And that gave to a point where the account grew very massively, right? So I would say pretty much in less than a year of time today, my account grew from like uh, 1,500 uh, followers to about like, I think it's roughly around 43,000 followers or so. 
And today, like some of the top VCs are following me, some of the top SaaS companies, SaaS founders are following me over there. Uh, there are a lot of celebrities that are following me. Pretty much a lot of news people are uh, the top uh, uh, news people are following me. So they all look up for anything around SaaS, startup ecosystem, anything around it from Udit today, because they know for the fact that Udit will post authentic stuff. And this is why I'm very careful about the kind of tweets also I do, right? Um, some of the tweets, I avoid like making a lot of generic tweets and usually my tweets also have a lot of interaction, right? A lot of, there's a lot of conversation and I am always posting my vulnerable side, right? So uh, this is where I have built first sales literally in public, right? From day zero when it was just like in the rebuilding stage, right? I have been building ever since then. So people have seen that I've built authentic stuff right from the beginning. And more importantly, I've never sh sh shied away from sharing everything that has worked for me. And I think that has been one of the biggest reasons why like I've, I've really got the love from, from so many, so many people from Twitter is because it has genuinely benefited them and their growth journey without me going out there and trying to turn everything into courses and and try to sell courses right which is what a lot of people try to do so i have been like just been very open with people and shared out everything that has worked and also that did not work for me but more importantly i think the vulnerable side of me that i've been so vulnerable uh that if i failed so uh in 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 september i wanted to start with like a 30 30 video 30 day challenge and I failed, right? And I spoke about it. I got a lot of conversation around it that people were like, it's completely okay. So I think it's very important that when you are doing personal branding, you have to be personal with people. If you're not ready to be vulnerable and share the most vulnerable side of yours, don't do personal branding because then it will just look fake. Mm -hmm. So that's how my, my Twitter journey started. Then about, I think, five, five, four or five, five months ago is when I started restarted using LinkedIn. Uh, got some good friends who were like, I think you should also push uh, contents on LinkedIn to help you grow. And I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm loving Twitter. But then I decided to give uh, LinkedIn a try again. I posted about three content over there. And that's when I discovered about uh, LinkedIn Accelerator program. So I'm like one of the 200 people that got picked up by LinkedIn for the LinkedIn Accelerator program. Uh, had to fill up like a four hour long lengthy form of theirs. Wow. It was massive, right? Like massive. So I spent about four hours uh, filling up that entire form. Had zero hopes because they'd asked for three of my last posts uh, on LinkedIn and I had only done three posts, right? So I had <laughs> that I'm going to get picked up. But I think my thesis and uh, the fact that I've been like very genuine and open about what I want to do and how I want to do because when you had to apply for a like app, you had to also put up your thesis. Like why should LinkedIn back you up? Why should LinkedIn help you? in this journey, right? So you have to be very authentic. And I think that authenticity is what really is something that their team liked. They picked me into the program. So now like I'm like very lucky to be a part of the very first uh, LinkedIn Accelerator program cohort. Met with a lot of good people uh, in the cohort, um, uh, but also connected with LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn had about, I think, 2000 followers uh, about five months ago. Now it's roughly around, I think, 22 to 23,000. So it's been growing again, been quiet for the last uh, two, three weeks because of health issues. But this is where my entire journey is. So now I'm looking forward to like continue focusing on these two platforms uh, while also looking to like be a lot more consistent on YouTube very, very, very soon. So mm. think about again, think about personal branding is you have to be vulnerable, right? You have to be personal. You have to 
also ensure that you're just talking about what you know. Do not try to talk about things that you do not know about because the moment you start getting traction, there are people that are smarter than you always on the internet, right? It just takes a matter of a couple of Google search to figure out and burn your life, right, on social media. So if you want to avoid that, make sure that you stick with what you know. So do not copy, plagiarize other people's content and, and try to create. I've seen so many people uh, trying to convert a lot of my threads into reels, but when they end up getting clients, right, they were like, hey, this is this content. You are just trying to turn that into videos. People are smart. People okay. can figure things out today. Be what you know, because when you, if you are trying to go personal brand, you'll also get invited to a lot of such podcasts, right? And when people see and listen, they figure out like this person knows their stuff or not. There, People are very smart today to, to understand and know things because people are really aware. So this is how personal branding really like kicked in. Again, it was very unplanned for, uh, it just happened, right? It just happened to happen. And uh, in the kind of love that I got in return, I think has been pretty incredible. And in this entire journey, made some very good friends like you. Hey, thanks a lot to this for that. And yeah, I think you have been one of the most genuine guys in that sense here. Uh, and and your content, of course, there's so much to learn. If you start, if you start dissecting that, it'll take another whole hour for doing just that. So we'll just probably park this thought here and probably get down to a few questions that people were asking. Okay, what are the key trends you see in the SaaS industry? Tech talent is extremely scarce and expensive. What are your views on that? And how to onboard the right talent? What are the key risks? Um, what are the key risks and the main reasons a SaaS company fails? Purely a SaaS question. Uh, what do you What do you have to say about that? So let's uh, divide these uh, questions, right? Because I think there were a lot of questions. So first one is uh, with regards to the trends that you see. Yes. In so I'm going to talk about the current trend, right? So the current trend is all about um, AI writing, right? Everyone is implementing GPT-3 right now in various ways. Um, there are some very interesting projects coming out. I think one of the projects that recently got funded was uh, they, they created a GPT-3-based uh, keyboard for um, uh, mobile, right? So now that um, that keyboard is sort of helping a lot of uh, people out with uh, uh, pre-answers and a lot of those things. Which oh, wow. Possible. So again, people are coming up with some, a lot of cool projects that will, uh, that will basically help people, right? So yeah, I think GPT-3 has already grown and, and become a $100 billion industry. This industry did not even exist about two, two years ago, right? So in just two years, $100 billion uh, market cap potentially. Uh, that's how the industry has grown now. So, But uh, OpenAI open is a private company held by Microsoft, right? It's not an open source project. No, it's not an open source project. It's a private project. Yeah, it's a private project. But again, companies are coming in and, and it has also made Amazon to come out with their own um, uh, GPT-3 competitor. Uh, so ah. it's kind of private beta right now. So it should be available to, if you go ahead and apply, if you just Google, you'll find out more information because again, Microsoft wants to lead, AWS wants to lead uh, when it comes to tech. So they waited for a good number of years for uh, GPT-3 to really get mature, the market to get mature so that they can, end. this is this is what Microsoft is known for, right? They wait for, uh, sorry, this is what like Amazon and Microsoft are known for. They wait for a lot of industries to sort of really mature before entering into that industry. Right. So it's kind of like that Maruti situation where Maruti is like, I, we don't want to build an EV, but but then now that the market is a little mature, 
people are ready uh, and accepting and, and buying, they are like, okay, we're going to dive in now, right? So uh, that's what happened. So the trend right now is GPT-3. Uh, a lot of AI tools are coming out. So uh, on top of that, a lot of supply chain management softwares are also coming out right now that are getting like funded uh, left, right, and center because as D2C itself, right, the entire e-commerce industry is growing. Um, if an industry grows, it also comes and generates a lot of problem, right? So there's uh, an entire issue with supply chain management. There's all, always going to be an issue with supply chain management because you're dealing with people, right? You're de dealing with transfer of uh, uh, like products from one warehouse to other warehouse to third warehouse to like people purchasing. So uh, those two are like the current trend right now at the moment in the fat industry that are like pretty hot, I would say. Uh, apart from that, like outreaching tools are very hot right now at the moment because the market is sort of really maturing up for them. They have started realizing that uh, uh, emails are one of the best ways to really acquire customers. So, uh, but again, this is a very difficult product to code uh, because building a scheduler is actually harder than just using an AI API, right? So uh, schedulers are the hardest. Interesting. So uh, I would say like sales tools are really sort of trending up right now. So there's a new category that's being created, which is known as a pre-CRM category. So outreaching tools are basically in the pre-CRM category. So uh, this entire pre-CRM category is getting pretty hot right now at the moment. And uh, again, uh, companies like Outreach.io right now is leading from the front. I think they're already like $4 billion company right now. Uh, so those are the trends that we are seeing. And anyways, whenever there is a recession, people usually don't spend on marketing and they spend more on sales uh, in general, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you also have to understand the market scenario as well, like what software, what sort of trend works and softwares are going to sell accordingly because that's the beauty about tech. So that's the trend I would say right now. And again, this trend would change in a month or two months of time, right? So uh, so be careful in terms of what you're building up because if you're not ready to spend the next five, 10 years of your life into building something, don't build it. Yeah. Expecting an exit in six months or a year is highly unlikely unless until you're a very seasoned professional, you know what you're doing, you have the capital to build, sell and exit, right? Unless until you know what you're doing, don't do that. So be careful. Now, mm. uh, second question was with regards to tech talent. Wow. Care. Actually, that's not the case. Tech talent are plenty. It's just that we... If you are in India, you need to stop looking for tech talents outside of Bangalore, right? There's a whole world outside of Bangalore. So uh, start looking for tech talents outside, right? So we hire a lot of our tech talent from Europe. There are plenty of incredible people that you find that are actually cheaper than uh, developers that you would find in India today, right? And also there was a stat that was out there from, from GitHub that only 4% of uh, uh, Indian developers codes are actually uh, implemented and deployed. So oh, this wow. means that most of the developers work needs to get reworked by someone who is a better developer, right? So again, go out of Bangalore, go out of India and start looking for better tech talents. Uh, today, again, because of remote thief people, the, the people that are getting, whatever they're getting paid in India, um, like those talents are uh, are all available outside of India as well. So start looking for uh, talents outside of India and you'll find like plenty of amazing, incredible talents. Uh, there's also a platform known as Lemon.io where you can uh, hire a lot of like uh, FANG developers 
uh, who usually uh, do a lot of moonlighting basically <laughs> so you can you can try and uh, find some good developers from from lemon.io so that's a very good platform again to find very refined and high quality developers especially during the initial stages and if you need like fractional ctos you can use lemon.io uh, to find them and again higher quality people uh, even if you get like less number of hours of theirs because uh, what they can produce in like one hour the other fresher will probably take like a month or maybe two months or may not may not even produce a similar result right so be careful about that so uh, that's with regards to the second one and i think uh, how to onboard the right talent i think you just need to develop the the ability to sell right because again if you are building a company you need to sell everywhere you need to sell to your employees you need to sell to your co-founders you need to sell to customers you need to develop the ability to sell to attract more and more people so if you're building some good personal branding this will also help you to attract sort of good and right sort of people and uh, lastly what are the key risk and uh, main reasons as company fail it's because of lack of distribution there's no other reason if you don't build a good product then definitely like it's gonna fail build a good product but focus on ensuring that um you have done a lot of research as well and focus on distribution right like in fact build an audience even before uh, selling your product or building your product and uh, try to implement the hundred dollar concept that i've i've mentioned and uh, when you're building an mvp don't go out there and build an mvp use a platform like bubble or edelo or uh, to build your uh, no code uh, mvps uh, for your saas because again it gets very expensive right when you get into development so start small focus more on distribution build less sell more so those are the answers to all these questions Mm. Thanks a lot, Siddhant. Okay, Siddhant has also said very insightful. Yeah, hi, Adit. Hey. Uh, so most of the questions have already been answered. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were so many questions over there. I didn't see. So I'll just take uh, like I'll ask few questions about the personal things. So you started with the. So you told you you entered into the internet space through gaming and stuff. So I have a similar outlook, and most of the things which I've learned, the best connections I've ever made was due to gaming. So. Like I spent around fifteen thousand plus hours in gaming, so uh, so that's what was uh, really similar thoughts which I have regarding that. So my understanding was uh, when you are uh, doing right, when you're doing the SaaS product, or maybe you're selling any service, maybe online, right? You are providing, or maybe you are helping the people out. So where I get confused is uh, if if you stand for two things, okay, maybe uh, as you only did in SaaS itself. So but uh, as Udit as it. person uh, you excelled two things maybe you had something other than uh, saas also and when you were making a uh, personal brand around that that particular thing and because i think personal brand builds over a particular number of years and with experience you get uh, like i think major audience based in that but how do you uh, talk about two things over there or should you be like okay twitter pay one and then uh, linkedin pay one how do you have any insight regarding that so always remember that uh, when you're building a personal brand right it doesn't matter what platform you're using right you're that one individual so if you look at my linkedin as well i talk about the same thing right i talk about uh, sales i talk about marketing and i talk about saas over there i don't talk about anything else beyond this i talk about startup ecosystem right i give yeah. my opinion uh, about what's happening in the startup ecosystem so i just talk about these things because that's all i know i don't know anything beyond this even if i know i don't want to dilute uh, my brand uh, beyond this right your story is something that's very different but what you constantly keep on talking about on a regular basis that is what helps you to become a thought leader 
So it's very important that when you're building up your personal brand to act as a thought leader, you convey your message as a thought leader. And when you're giving your opinion as well, right, about, about anything. So for example, um, about moonlighting, for an example, right? I'm going to be writing a post about it on LinkedIn, uh, maybe uh, by the end of this week or maybe by next week. Uh, because I'm just trying to, first of all, understand, right? And before that, I used Twitter and I just posted a tweet about it. What are your sort of... Uh, experiences around around moonlighting right i'm just asking and, and getting feedbacks because it's very important to also understand what people are thinking right many a times mm -hmm. people just read a couple of headlines and they feel things are wrong right uh, instead of going and diving and understanding why certain companies are doing something right so i try to give my perspective from the companies and to people and i try to explain it because again with me being a a, a salesperson right a salesperson have an habit of really breaking things down in a very simpler way to explain to people. Because when you're trying to sell, you have to simplify things when you're trying to sell, right? Yeah. And this reflects in my post as well. So rather than coming out and being very aggressive about a certain post, I really break it down and talk about a certain perspective that helps people to understand. So I don't talk about three, four different things, right? I talk about everything that revolves around the same thing. So that's very, very important. So if you see, I don't talk about gaming, even though I game. Yeah. Right? I've never seen a post. Again, uh, it's very important to stick with what you know, right? Hmm. I'm not one of the best gamers in the world. So I don't talk about it, right? I just enjoy games for myself, for my peace of mind, for for me uh, to give break to myself. That's all, right? Okay. So this is why it's very important to stick with what you know. That's how you identify your ident identity, right? So... Now, let's say that I'm not going on uh, Instagram and uh, creating uh, dancing reels or entertainment reels over there just to get followers over there, right? I'm not doing that. Or I'm not trying to create something uh, on Instagram that will completely dilute my brand. Now, what I do on Instagram is I post exclusive stories about how I'm building things in public, right? About my life, about my travel stuffs, right? Uh, that I'm going to events. And again, my travel stuffs are mostly around, again, work as well. So there I am posting a very different things because it, I finally realized what I need to post on, on Instagram now. So my, my stories are very sort of uh, intrigued uh, over there. And the way I communicate with people over there is on a much more personal level, right? But that again revolves around the same thing. So when you're building a personal brand, it doesn't matter what platform you're using. You have to talk about the same thing. Now, let's say that if I enjoy cooking, for an example, now suddenly I'm not going to end up uh, starting a YouTube channel for cooking, right? Because that will start diluting your brand. Because yeah. remember that a certain number of people, now imagine if I just talk about recipes uh, suddenly on my tweet, okay. right? Hmm. Uh, someone like, uh, someone like uh, Sohail would be like, what the fuck is wrong with this? <laughs> why, is he, why is he talking about certain recipes? Because that's not what I'm following him, right? I'm following him for, to learn more about growth hacks, to learn about startup. This is why I'm following him. So, when you change your niche completely, the problem, or you uh, work on two different niches, which is also part. Okay. The problem is you end up confusing your people who have yeah. started following you. That's where the problem comes in. This is why you have to be very careful and you cannot talk about two different things unless and until, again, those two things are very similar to each other, which is like, let's say in my case, marketing and sales, right? Yeah. Or startups and SaaS, they all go hand in hand, basically. That's how you build things around. Uh, understandable. So uh, I follow up question on this. So basically, I work in the financial market. So what I have seen. So even I uh, uh, consume content, right? On a regular basis, I go through the channels. I go through Instagram, like what people are posting, what they are doing. 
but uh, at times there it's like the things which are out there is uh, is for a very beginner level maybe okay if you go and read about a little bit about finance on some post it might be okay top five stocks these are doing top five stocks generating ar or whatever it is okay it might be like that but that is not uh, directly putting any value to the person who is consuming that content no that's but, wrong why why do you assume no, that no. that's not adding any value because again remember that what can okay. be very very uh, basic for you can be very advanced for someone else right because this is where there is a room for content to be created for everyone now when i talk about the saas thing right mm-hmm. i'm talking about very basic things right now which might be very advanced for a lot of people but that's super basic for me right so mm-hmm. you have to understand that every people go through a certain phase so for example when i was in la i learned how to cook from youtube because i had to obviously cook my food right i cannot just go out there and buy food every single day so um i would just watch youtube contents see how the foods are cooked and i would just try to uh, replicate and make that right so in that case if someone would have said ki yaar matlab you don't even know how to how to uh, make a roti which is like so basic right now i'm trying to consume that content how to make roti how to make the data how to like make a dough right i'm trying to learn that how to how much water to be put because if you end up putting excess water right you end up not having the right dough and you're not going to have the uh, the right sort of uh, roti for yourself so it's very important to understand that what is very basic for you can be very advanced for someone else so there is again room for every person uh, and all kinds of contents to be created uh perfect so you did the taking from uh, so it might be two three questions because uh, i am getting questions on mind as uh, this speaking just so so as you said perfectly because there was an application of what you learned from the youtube it was just an example still there was some application right you whenever you post about marketing it might be very basic but it has a real life application okay i have learned this so here is something else its evaluation is but uh, in finance usually the content is very uh, very broad there are thousand things uh, but only three four things work in reality people who are in the market they know like they keep trying and in the end only few things work out so uh, i had an understanding that's my own personal bias maybe so i started with the specific things um, but very in very detailed manner maybe i'll put blogs also accordingly and i link the blogs with the caption and stuff that content is the people who read that content they like it a lot but i'm not able to gather a larger audience that's because again as you go to the top of the ladder right and when you start focusing on a, a very high sort of uh, advanced content the amount of people really reduces so when you focus on a lot more generic content right it reaches to a lot more broader audience at that stage because the amount of people so if i start talking about apis over here right most of the people won't even understand if i start talking about the api and when i was talking about like if i start talking about codes specifically now right most mm-hmm. of the people would leave over here if i start talking about the high level of uh, funnels a uh, high level of marketing strategies right now a lot of people would leave because a lot of people might still find a lot of basic content a lot more relevant for them so as you go advance the number of people would decrease massively in your in your funnel itself that's because the amount of people who have reached to that certain level has is very less so that's why they would be consuming a lot less content and they would be consuming a very different kind of a content altogether so now yeah. if i just see let's say someone talking about seo right that's too basic for me i don't even consume those content right or if someone is talking about performance marketing i know that there's a lot of advanced concept that can be applied and this person is still talking about just putting up an ad this way or talking about this this way right mm-hmm. so 
everyone goes for a certain level. So as you keep on creating more advanced content, you'll feel that the number of audience is very less. And that's bound to happen because people have not reached to that level. Or you need to start focusing on the right ICP as well, right? So when I'm talking about right ICP over here, so for example, you might be creating a lot of contents or you might be too young to attract people who are in their 40s because many a times remember that people who are in their 40s might have that ego that I don't want to learn from someone young, right? Oh, yeah, that is better, I would not learn from them. I would rather learn someone from 60, right? Mm -hmm. There's that ego out there. There is that... Um, a lot of professional ego, right, out there that a lot of people might not openly say, but this happens. So they might not consume those content. So this is why as you go to the top of the ladder, you would see that there are very different kind of a people altogether and the kind of uh, content they would consume is going to be very different. Yeah, Justin said, but the conversion rates which I've had, uh, so I tried everything. I've been trying for around uh, three years now, uh, but the conversion rate is very high when uh, with those people. And the conversion rates are completely very different with the other broader group. That's what I've noticed. Trying to focus on the top 1% and that's where the money is, right? The top 1% is where the money is. So focus on people. I always say one thing, right? Focus on people with problem and focus on people with money. That's when you make money. Uh, thanks Sudhit, for the answers. No worries. Thanks. Thanks Chandrakant for that question. Okay. So we have Aman. Aman. Can yeah. We just... yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, this, right. So as a like developer or as a SaaS, SaaS uh, entrepreneur, so when you build in public, right, so should you focus on like one platform or you should be like focusing on different platforms as well? So I would say initially, initially just pick one platform, just focus on one platform, nail it down uh, because growing on one platform alone is very difficult. And the fact that if you can grow on one platform, Usually there's a big chance that about 5% of your audience will also use other platforms as well, right? Not everyone uses every platform. Yeah. At least 5% of that audience will use other platforms that help you to kickstart whenever you're starting your other sort of platform journey. So uh, one of the major reasons, again, uh, why my LinkedIn grew so quickly from, from 2000 to like 23,000 again in less than five months has been because a lot of people who were consuming my content on Twitter they were the similar audience. They started seeing my contents on LinkedIn as well, right? And they were like, hey, I've seen this guy, right? I know this guy. Udit is from Twitter. He is, love his content. And they start following me right away. So focus on just one platform, right? If you see many a times that a lot of YouTubers today who have migrated to Instagram, it's the same audience over on YouTube. Uh, they started following them on Instagram and their growth was very rapid because of that, because they got their first 100k users, maybe in a matter of just weeks and not even mm -hmm. years that, that has taken other people, right? But if you just focus on multiple platforms, what's going to happen is that you won't be consistent because it takes a lot of time to create content, right? So yeah. I tried YouTube almost three times, right? And if you go into my YouTube uh, account, you will see that there's huge gaps happening, right? I get consistent, then I stop. I get consistent, then I stop. I get consistent. But with Twitter, if you look at my Twitter, then you wouldn't find a single day where there's no Twitter from my account, right? Or if you go into my uh, LinkedIn, except for the last couple of weeks, you would see that I've been posting contents every day on my LinkedIn, right? Because I have been able to find that time that I can spend half an hour on creating a written text content. I can do that. But I'm not able to find time to create a video which will take me two hours because again, that's a lot of commitment and 
I'm stuck with actually running a business, right? I'm, I'm running two brands right now and takes up a lot of my time. I have 20, 25 plus people I'm, I'm dealing with at the moment. And plus like hundreds of thousands of customers on top of that, that are pinging me for issues or this and that for any reason, collaboration, like all of those. Plus there's a lot of other things that are happening, right? So it becomes very hectic. So I would say focus on one thing, uh, nail it down. And once you've nailed down that platform, you're, the growth for other platforms and the migration to other platforms will become far more easier than okay i think that, that is a good strategy i think uh, because i was like struggling because with oh, the same consistency thing was quite a lot right because uh, when you do that you have to just write 280 characters every single day it mm-hmm. gives you that uh, peace of mind that okay i have to write this <clears throat> now imagine you have to now work on on uh, a read on top of that and a long form video on top of that and a blog post on top of that. It's very time consuming. You cannot do all of these things without building a team. Mm. I think there, there is one more thing which uh, like it comes out at steps from lot many creator like repurpose your content. You write something as a tweet, then make it as a short video. Do you think that that's actually work or it's? Uh... Again, it really depends upon your audience, right? Because if you're mm. for same audience is following across all the platform the content is actually pretty useless because they would say that i've just seen this on twitter why are you posting this on linkedin as well and then you're posting the Uh same on facebook as well right like that gets irritated to them so uh, again you have to understand your audience right and based on that uh, you create content so for me i've always believed in uh, you create, you repurpose content, but you understand the the platform as well. Don't just copy and paste the same content. For example, if I write a tweet, I will elaborate that in a very in-depth way on LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't post about the, the snippets and the daily life of what's happening on either LinkedIn or either Twitter. I would only post it on my stories. Uh-huh. Right, so I keep my content very exclusive. Yeah. Kind of uh, content very exclusive to a certain platform, so that also helps people to stay hooked up because you have to constantly keep on innovating things, right? To keep people hooked up with your platform, that's very important. So that's where all the difference comes in. So uh, again, focus on one platform, nail it down. This will also give you a lot of peace of mind, and then eventually, like again, when you're repurposing, understand your audience very well. If you understand your audience, you will see the same people engaging with your post every day. And that's very important. Mm. No, I think there's one more offshoot question here that's from this. Um, is basically whatever platform you choose, um, the kind of growth that you see on that platform, that basically gives you validation that whatever I'm doing is right or wrong. What I've seen is in Twitter, it's a little bit difficult. I mean, depending on the amount of effort that you put in, the ROIs come much easier on, let's say, a LinkedIn or an Instagram rather than on Twitter. Right? So what, what is your take on that? That's actually not true, you know. So uh, the platform that works out for you, that becomes easier, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's a reality. So if, if you ask to someone who has cracked Instagram, right, they would say that creating and growing on Instagram has been far more easier than Twitter. So if, if you ask me, I would say growing on Twitter has been far more easier for me than any other platform. And Twitter is what has really enabled and unlocked all the doors and opportunities for me today, right? Like all the networks that we, that I've built, VCs, networks, investors, so many people that I've built today uh, has been because of uh, Twitter, right? And when I'm trying to sort of grow on Instagram, 
I find it very difficult to grow on Instagram, like very difficult, right? It's not just about just recording some reel and posting. I've seen so many people doing and posting reels every day, but I don't see any traction on their accounts, right? So it's not easy, right? Every platform has got its own charm. Every platform has got its own sort of user base that requires a certain kind of a content. So on, on, on Instagram, you have to have a, like a really sort of big side for you, right? Either you are a big shot, right? You have a lot of money and you are really like branding the heck out of yourself as a personal brand, right? Uh, when people see you sitting and talking with a lot of people uh, who are rich and have money, you will see a fast growth on Instagram at that stage. Or the matter of fact that if you're very good entertainer, right, you would grow because that's a kind of audience that's out there. So you have to understand this audience. Now on Twitter, you would see that the moment if people are posting videos about dancing, right? those people are going to get unfollowed right away because people on Twitter have a no-nonsense policy, right? They don't, they don't tolerate like shitty contents over there. They don't, they don't tolerate anything that's outside of like startup ecosystem or, um, or outside of like uh, work, marketing, sales. This is what Twitter has really identified itself and a lot of like ecosystem has identified itself. And, and apart from that, there's like the whole politician thing, right? Like you're going and uh, also expecting updates from companies. Versus on LinkedIn, you don't expect updates from companies, but you're expecting thought process and leaders and the founders of a certain company talking about certain things, giving their opinion and sharing their strategies, right? So again, every platform has been very different to each other. Uh, so the kind of, again, growth that I've seen, I've been trying to replicate that growth on YouTube. I couldn't, but a lot of other people have been, right? They, they find YouTube to be far better and easier platform for them than as compared to any other platform. So I think it's very opinionated. Uh, whatever has worked out for you is the best platform for you in the end. Mm. Uh, I think so. I was just thinking, right? You said uh, for some people, some platform comes out to be very good. And so how somebody would find that, okay, this platform is good for me. Like when somebody started you have out, to right? experiment, bro. Yeah. I think it's, that's how, what was the time period you should be giving around to experiment? I, at least 30 days, 30 days, be consistent on a platform, right? Like post contents. Uh, and when I'm saying 30 days, take up 30 days, right? So, on YouTube, put up 30 contents. On Instagram, put up 30 contents. And in and see what you really enjoy, right? Don't, I would also say that don't really follow the vanity metrics. It's easier to say that. But then again, I would say that don't really like focus very, very heavily on the vanity metrics. Because again, uh, not necessary is that the number of followers really equates to the number of conversions. Ultimately, your goal should be to convert them into a paying customer. And if you can do that with 4,000 followers, I would rather have 4,000 followers than having 4 million followers. That's not going to buy from me, right? Mm. It's very important to understand that. So don't focus too much on it. So I don't care about like how many people are now following me on Twitter, uh, whether I'm going to add like 1,000 followers this week or not. I am literally not bothered about that. What I just make sure is my quality and my content is quality. That's all. It needs mm. to help Whoever is going to watch that content, it needs to help them in a certain way or it needs to make them understand about my opinion. That's all, right? Mm -hmm. As long as I focus on that, trust me, the engagements come in automatically, right? So mm -hmm. that's what people don't realize that ultimately it's not about the number of followers, but it's the number of people that will actually trust you enough to buy from you. It's, it's about that matrix. Credibility. Absolutely. So if I post today and ask those 40,000 people to buy something, I'm definitely sure that they're not going to say no. At least like 40% of them would end up buying from me. 
right? Because that's the kind of trust and credibility I've built with them. And I would rather focus on that rather than having 2 million followers where those people are just following me because they fancy my life, right? That's not the right kind of a following because you're then focusing on the aspiring audience and aspiring audience, they don't have any money. I absolutely agree on that. Yeah. Uh, so what are the pros and cons of having uh, getting an investor or bootstrapping it completely? So uh, having an investor, basically my is like trying to sell a piece of your soul to someone that you're never going to get back, right? So the question is, do you want someone to own your soul? That's the real question that you need to ask yourself, right? Because your equity is the only sort of asset that you have as a, as a founder. So are you ready to have someone uh, have that piece of your soul, right? Because having an investor, while it might sound very fancy, it's not easy because now you are responsible to respond to someone. You might hate taking up that call, but you have to take that call, right? You have to respond to that person. You have to reply to every text. If they message you every day, you have to respond to every day. If they, if they call you at even like 10 p.m., you have to take up the call. You're not going to ignore that call because you know you're calling yourself for trouble. So that's a challenge, right? Those are the cons. The pros is that you do get funds to accelerate your growth, right? Which otherwise is very difficult, uh, which otherwise is very, very hard. Uh, in general, because again, the, one of the biggest reasons and, and with all the tech talent and everything, all the talents, not just tech talent, uh, being very expensive, building a team is very difficult today. Building a good team is even harder, right? It's not about just raising capital. So access to capital has become far more easy um, in the last couple of years as compared to what it has been in the previous years. So uh, the, again, the pros is that you would be able to accelerate your growth, but that's a question that you really need to ask. Why did you start entrepreneurship? For me, um, it was, I want freedom. I chose entrepreneurship for freedom, right? I want to take fast decisions. I don't want to get on a call with someone, except again for my co-founders, right? I don't want to get on a call, trying to explain in a board meeting, get an approval for the next three months, six months, because I love moving fast. And I chose entrepreneurship. And I think that's the biggest reason why, like I'm a big advisor of like, bootstrapping but then again i'm also an investor right i'm an, an investor in like 23 startups today uh as of now about to invest in my 24th startup very soon so uh, it's very different um being on the on the back seat rather than being on the driver's seat right so i would rather like uh, hire an uber instead of driving an uber basically so that's the decision that you have to make uh when you are trying to sort of either going bootstrapping or or trying to raise capital oh, that's a that's a beautiful analogy bro <laughs> yeah it is thank you so much driving an uber versus hiring an uber actually this is this is something which people people really glamorize the whole funding aspect of things and that's we have to blame the media for it it's primarily because that's that's where they can show the big numbers right and that's how the whole startup ecosystem has been. But if you really, I, I, I still believe that you should always look at starting a startup as starting a business of your own. And that's actually what it is. That's There's nothing more to it. People view investor money as revenue when it is not. And the thing that, is, well, the thing is, well, that a lot of people fail to realize that this is the biggest step that they're taking. Then they're not 
uh, getting that equity back, right? More importantly, people have forgotten that there is also an option to take loan, right? There, if you look at about the traditional India, right? 80% of India and the revenue that runs in India are the MSMEs. And how do those MSMEs operate, right? Those MSMEs operate by raising capital through loans, right? My my dad, I still remember when he started his business, he gave away, uh, he he uh, took the loan against uh, his home, right? He risked his entire family. He took the loan against the home and the property, but paid it off, right? And today he owns the entire piece of his own company. He is not reliable to respond to anyone. Uh, he can go whenever he wants. He can come back whenever he wants. He can put any kind of efforts that he wants, right? He's built a great asset, uh, because he runs a typical factory, basically, right? Like how the traditional MSMEs work. So again, people don't see that option. Even we at Pitchround, we have utilized credit cards, right? Which is a form of a loan, basically, right? It's a short-term loan of 45 days that we get. So I've utilized that. Even right now, we take loans from different revenue-based uh, financing companies. So it's not that like uh, we don't take capital, right? But I take capital on, on the interest rates, Right, you can get capital access for 12 to 15 percent very easily. Then there are platforms like there's so many platforms that are coming out, which is under the name of like alternate investments. But if a company just go out there, take money on 18 percent, that's not a problem because 18 percent is still basically free money. If you can drive 2x, 3x, 4x ROS, 18 percent is peanuts at that point of stage, right? Mm. So, again, take loan that should be the first thing in your mind. Try to save as much equity as possible. People and founders, right, who, who talk so much about things today. I'm not going to name anyone in this podcast to create controversy. But again, uh, these people, right, who have become unicorns, so-called unicorns, they own like 3%, 4% in their own company, right? And they mm. are like, I would rather own 3% in a unicorn rather than having like 100% bullshit, right? Trust me, they wish they wouldn't have sold that much equity in the back of their mind right? While you can see all the things in the world, they today have less equity than an ESOP pool. ESOP pool is bigger than, than yeah. the, what the founders own today. And again, second big problem is founders want everything today. They want to build a unicorn today. Just enjoy the process, right? Building a company is you enjoying every single day, you facing those challenges every single day. And when you do that, you also optimize your company for margin, for better margin, because businesses improve on margins. If you look at all the traditional, right? I'm a big, big fan of Asian Paints as a company, right? It was born in what, like 1940. Took them almost, what, like 80 plus years to build where they are. And they are, again, constantly optimizing their margins. That's why you see them producing so much free cash flow so much money you look at reliance right lnt itc all of these companies the reason why they have they're making so much money as compared to the modern startups the reason behind that is they have optimized their whole business at every single level and that's why those those businesses are doing so well you look at geo reliance right why are they making so much crazy cash have you, if you have ever seen those financials you would be blown away like producing 40,000 crores worth of free cash flow every single every single year, right? That's no joke. 
the reason again has been they work on still those traditional way and they keep on focusing on distribution so again take those traditional methods as well right take loan if you can i'll 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 tell you i'll tell you what the problem is right so having been interacted with so many startups who you know either are in the club or you know in general want to grow or start a company the problem is what i believe is people really don't have faith in their own idea and that's why for them shelling out equity is cheaper than actually taking a loan because they think value even if i lose you know 50 percent of uh, zero is also zero and 10 percent of zero is also zero the moment and that faith is basically given to them by by an external body like an investor and then they start working on it Majority of the people treat the investment that has come in as revenue themselves. They basically start splitting it as salary. And then whatever experiments that they have in their mind, they basically start doing that. And then if they fail, they don't owe anything to anyone because an investor does not ask their money back. The moment you take a loan, you are liable. And this, if people will start taking loans, and this is what a lot of mature startups do when they start doing debt financing, is when they know that, hey, this is going to work. I know that I can take it. I just need this much amount of money more. Problem is that faith in the first time founder is very low. And that's the reason why they're very eager to shell out equity and go the equity route rather than the loans route. What do you think? No, I 100% agree with you on that. And um, I think like, look, there are there are good founders. But again, if you end up burning someone's capital thinking it's free money, right? Uh, it's it's very difficult to build a reputation, right? And with today's time and modern world and modern internet, um, everyone is connected to each other, especially the moment you get into the top and focus on investors community, right? If you look and ask most people, they know who am I today, right? They know what am I doing, even though they might not be involved, right? But they know mm. about background, they know about who this uh, because I'm connected with some or the other of them. So the moment you get into that 0.1% of India, you will keep meeting the same people again yeah. and again and again and again. So cannot burn those, right? So again, you have to be very careful when you are, again, like sort of raising capital. So just be very careful. Uh, again, take things slow. There's no rush. I think uh, one of the companies that I really sort of like admire is Is My Trip. Uh, Prashant. Yeah, Prashant Pate. Prashant has done a fantastic job uh, in terms of, again, they also try to raise capital. It's not that we did not try to raise capital, right? I, I just tweeted out today as well that every bootstrap founder has tried to raise capital at some point and, and have failed yeah. as well, right? I, I failed in raising that capital, but I think that is the best thing that has happened to me because it helped me to optimize business and start focusing and start taking care of my customers rather than taking care of investors, right? And ultimately, there's no business that's been run by investors. It only helps you fuel your distribution. But if you do not take care of your customers, you're not going to grow. So I got to see, even I have the same theory, ki, uh, if you believe in your thing, then you can like you can put in money. Uh, but some of the time, it's, so there are two, three points. Some of the time, it's like you might not have the uh, correct amount of money to put in your business also. So that is the time when... Uh, uh, I prefer friends and family and like uh, no interest loans basically. So that is my understanding. I'm audible, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. that is the yeah that is the understanding. So what where I get confused is ki where to put the line. Like maybe like uh, I can uh, put in mine uh, in the starting I can put in five, ten, fifteen. So where 
and do i mark the line yes ke at this point i should uh, think of maybe raising capital like i have a different like question altogether in the I starting think, i don't have an issue but uh, i think the yeah. founders need to first of all focus on the product right yeah and not necessarily that you need money to build a product today there are technologies out there where you can just build it by yourself you don't even need anyone right yeah. for example i gave an example of adelo i gave an example of bubble right you can just go out there build a product by yourself uh the fact is that uh people don't want to take risks right they want to play safe because like sohil was saying when you try to raise capital you don't you think that hey it's not my money right what's what's going to happen mm-hmm. the going to shut and i'm not going to lose anything but in this process you don't realize that you you end up losing a lot of name correct right and yeah. that will cost you and burn you for the rest of your life because again the moment you get into that 0.1% network right everyone knows each other and everyone works along with each other they don't fight right they don't compete they collaborate remember that that's how the 0.1% always remain one person that's why we we always keep saying right the the money never gets distributed from from the the top 1% to the rest of the 99% right the reason behind that is the rest of the 99% are looking for gossip they're looking to fight against each other right but the top 1% or at least in india i wouldn't say top 1% but top 0.1% right they don't compete they collaborate and they collaborate on everything they support each other right they it's kind of like let me scratch your back you scratch my back right that's how the the top people if you see like elon musk and jeff bezos fighting in public behind the scenes they are on the same cap table of many startups and they are talking and they are they are laughing about how people are giving them free pr right that's what they are laughing about right but then again people in are loving those conversation people people use that as a medium so you need to understand all of those people are collaborating and there is a reason why like if you see uh warren buffett and and bill gates are like two of the best friends because they back each other up in everything that they do right the same thing happens with all the top rich people they collaborate in the public they might fight they might do certain things but behind the scenes they're having beer together which you don't know about right this is the actual reality so start collaborating so again you have to be careful whole point is be careful when you're trying to raise capital right be very careful there's nothing wrong with raising capital but be very careful that you could end up burning your name and reputation in the long run because the same people will come across and they could end up becoming your biggest hurdle in your life mm. got it yeah after a certain point of time i think skill set stops mattering yaar everybody is good you know after a certain level after that it's all relationships bro and i think the 0.1% you're basically selling relationships you're not selling skills you're not selling um anything you're selling you're literally selling relationships at that stage mm got it thanks a lot chandar khan thanks for the thanks yeah yeah thanks chandar okay so i think there are two more questions siddhant is asking as an investor how do you stay away from the fads and selling story of a founder using all the different trending words like aml and identify and evaluate some real tech which have real use cases and are sustainable 
just set up and look into the project, right? If you are an investor or you're investing in an early stage startup, just sit down and understand what you really know. And um, and uh, if you are an expert in your industry, no one will be able to fool you, right? So when I invest in my industry, no one can come and fool me around uh, things like AI, right? Because I would sit down and ask them about models. Uh, they, they just can't use uh, the fancy terms like AI, uh, AI and ML in front of me, right? And uh, founders know that. So they come and tell me, we don't have AI. We're just using some random algorithm, right? So again, you, when you are in an industry in, 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 your, uh, in your industry, when you're expert in your industry, uh, you would know all of those things. Plus again, the, the kind of founders, the background uh, also plays a major difference when it comes to investment. So you have to do a lot of those things. And this is why you would see that young people usually in their early 20s, they don't get funding so very quickly, right? Maybe one in like um, 100,000 uh, people are probably raising funds, but in general, you will not see them being able to raise funds successfully because again, there's no experience, there's no history, right? Investments is made based on someone's history. So you have to develop those history. So check on that, do your due diligence when you're making those investments, basically. I hope that answers your question, Siddhant. Siddhant can't speak right now. Okay, cool. Any other questions? Anybody else who wants to go? Okay, so I have one last question, Udit, before we before we close uh, this session. Um, so I think uh, you have been you have basically gone through the whole journey, right? So you you basically started a business, you have failed, you have exited companies, you have bootstrapped your way up to a million 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 dollar valuation, um, and now you're an angel investor itself uh, yourself as well, right? Uh, my my question is around your journey. I mean, looking back in retrospect, you know, um, how how do you how do you see the journey, the path that you have you have gone through? Which phases do you think are the most valuable ones? And the investor versus founder question: Which one is more? Uh, what do you call it? More which has more ROI? Let's put it that way. As an as a founder, do you have more ROI, or as a as a as an investor, do you have do you have more ROI? I think that's a very interesting question because I don't invest to sort of uh, make a direct money on investment. Not a lot of people know about this, right? Why I do angel investment? So uh, my thesis is very simple that I generally do angel investments because it unlocks networking for me. It unlocks direct doors and opportunity for me, which otherwise might not be possible, right? So, for example, I'm I'm uh, I'm in a couple of very popular company. Uh, again, the kind of like sort of direct competitor to uh, Builders Camp, so I'm not going to name them. Uh, but there's so many other amazing companies out there that I have invested, right? And uh, those founders have helped me with a lot of data points. Those founders have unlocked a lot of doors and opportunities for me directly. So I do angel investments, not because I'm potentially expecting a 5x or a 7x or a 10x return. So I can I can put up that one dollar and I can get five dollars back on Facebook ads. If I put up one dollar on TikTok ads, would I can get 10x back by the end of the month, right? So for me, I do angel investments because I cannot buy that network with ads, right? That that network can only be bought or I can be a part of it if I someone makes an introduction to me. 
and that introduction happens when I give them a check, right? Regardless of the amount, it unlocks that door and opportunity for me because now they're liable. Mm. They're now they're liable to shake hands with me. Mm. Right? So I do angel investments because of this, and that has really helped and accelerated the growth of fossils. I've never shared this in anywhere else, but one of the major reasons why fossils have grown from like zero to four hundred thousand dollars in AR and in just four months, right? has been because of these angel investments, because it has unlocked doors and opportunities for mid-sized companies and enterprises that I'm connected with because these are the same founders who are also in the cap table of other companies. And they are the ones with problem and they are the ones with money. Mm -hmm. I told in, in an earlier statement that if you want to make money, you need to focus on reaching out to people with problem and with money because they are the ones who will throw all the money in the world to get the problem solved. Right. Why do you think the Gucci's and the uh, Louis Vuitton's exist today? Because they're focusing on people with money and problem. Mm. Right? They're selling status to people who has money. How do you show status? Mm. That's a big problem for people with money. Mm. Right? So that's what you focus on. That's where you will make money. But what a lot of people start focusing on is they try to make customers to someone who has no money but a lot of problems. Right. Yeah. Oh my that's god, where yeah. The, that's where the problem comes in, right? So start focusing on people who has money and who has problem. And this is where I do those angel investments that unlock these doors and opportunity for me and help me to connect with the 0.01% of India today, which otherwise would have been impossible, right? People know me, people know pitch ground, people know first sales. They might not be a customer right now, but they know about it, right? And that's the most important part. Uh, and this is the reason why I do angel investment, uh, which not a lot of people do angel investments for this reason. So I make my ROI back by uh, by uh, selling them for sales, for an example, or selling them services right away. I make my ROI back in a very immediate basis because I don't have a patience to wait for seven years or 10 years to get 3x, 4x, right? Again, mm. not the reason why. So uh, when we were sort of making our marketing budget, right? So I decided that I'm going to do something very smart this time. I'm going to take some of the budget out and I'm going to invest where, again, that investment would unlock and help me connect with those companies that are really required. Today, I'm connected with a lot of banks because of uh, one of the um, one of the fintech companies I've invested in, right? I'm literally like uh, a click away from connecting with any bank, any of the C-level executives in those banks I want who are the decision makers. Right, I just need to let this uh, startup founder know that hey, please connect me with him. He's not going to say no to me because I'm 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 on his cap table and I've helped him grow a lot. So it unlocks the doors and opportunity for you, and that's where I feel that for me, uh, you'll always make more money as a founder than as an investor. Mm. 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 Got it. Very interesting, Odith. Cool. Uh, I think we can draw the whole podcast to a close. How was your experience, Adit? I think it was brilliant. I think uh, we had some great conversation. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed the the super crazy insights and how I do things a little differently as compared to other people in general. Are, are, I'm telling you, Adit, I think you are like one of the most humble guys whom I have met. And it's very difficult to find people who at your stature is, is, so, is so down to earth. 
uh, and i'm telling you because i've met you you know a number of times as well and you are like like i mean in the real world you are as you are the same as as you are in the in the in the in the digital ecosystem which is very very difficult to say for a lot of folks but that's that's the truth um and and thanks a lot for taking time out and giving us such amazing uh, insights here because and trust me these are all actionable insights i'm not just saying this because a lot of perspectives probably might not really agree with the way we think right now but this these will definitely make you think and try out things a little bit differently to see whether these things work or not uh, thanks a lot udit for taking time out uh, as usual a pleasure chatting with you and we hope to see you more active in the builders club we are we are actually launching our own small platform i think i told you about that and we'll we'll give you a little bit of a beta access as well early access just to give us feedback on what works and what doesn't and also guys the merch of the builders club is also launching so keep an eye out on that in case you guys are not a part of our uh, our whatsapp group uh, i'll probably i'll drop a small link of that here as well uh, and yeah and uh, guys in case if you have enjoyed this conversation please put the uh, you know put out a small tweet or a post on linkedin about whatever your learnings have been from this uh, from this session so maya aman chandrakant whatever learnings you have had the top 3 learnings just put it out in um, in 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 either a tweet or a linkedin post and uh, you know tag udit and tag me or the builders club and you people will become eligible to a few free merchandises which might come your way uh, soon as well so that is something which will help you number one also remember what you actually learned and number two get you some free gifts as well with that i think we draw this uh, podcast to a close uh, this has been a great saturday night uh, we 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 usually you know thanks a lot guys for for taking time out on a saturday night for this thanks a lot udit also for doing this hope you guys have a great weekend and and a great night with that we'll see you guys again bye take care that was the episode hope you got some rich insights for your idea from this if you like the episode do share it with your friends and rate us on spotify google store and itunes if you want to join the water cooler podcast live join the club at www.thebuildersclub.me until next time upwards and onwards